0: bow our heads and hearts. Oh, righteous Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again that from everlasting into everlasting, you are God. And Lord, uh, all the things that continue to change and be unstable, we thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you because you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit and you've given us your word that you've magnified above all your name. And we thank you, Lord, that we can gather freely and hear from you and sit at your feet and that your word does not return void. And we pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would teach, it'd be none of me, all of you, and that the words that lead to everlasting life would come from my mouth. And Lord, we pray that anyone who is watching, anyone who is here, that you would give them the ears to hear what you would have to say to us. And that it wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other, but into one ear into the depths of our heart for it's not just the hearers of the word that are just, but the doers of your word that are just. And we pray for those who are sick, those who are struggling, those who have issues that we have no idea about, Lord, but you know, we lift them up to you, Lord. Put your healing hand upon them. Lord, you know all things and we thank you, but we have not because we ask not. And Lord, we pray you put a blessing on everyone who was here and that we would all continue to seek ye first your kingdom and your righteousness, that everything else will fall into its proper place. We love you. We thank you once again. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. And the saint said, Amen. Amen. All right. So, Bibles. You guys have your Bibles? Amen. If you don't, please raise your hand and we'll get one to you. We teach you the fullness of God's word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that you may know him. Our theme verse, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So that means you need one of these, all right? So open up your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. So I got the call today. And good thing about working here is I'm not going anywhere. So I just, <laughs> I stay here and, uh, and I just hang out. So, you know, hey, all right. Yeah, I'll be there anyway. So it works out. God is good. <laughs> I got it. The Holy Spirit has it, right? So here we are. So John chapter 12, uh, love this gospel. And I know some of us, we've read through the gospels over and over and over. You can never read them enough. We can never read them enough. Love this gospel. The apostle John wrote this um, to be vastly distinctive from the other gospels. And he writes why he writes in John chapter 20. He says, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so he outlines very clearly some of the signs that Jesus does and points out those very, very famous I am statements, which really points to the deity of Christ. Matthew's gospel points to the fact that he's the king of the Jews. Luke points that he's the perfect son of man. Mark more so written to a Roman audience, but that he's the suffering servant. And then John, we see that he's God. He's the invisible God made visible. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see that very vividly in the gospel of John. What I like, it, what I see in this gospel is most of the gospels, you know where they spend almost a little bit over half their time? The last week of Jesus' life. Because it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us hope. If Jesus just came, And died and did not rise again. Paul says we are of all the most miserable, pitiful of all people. But as we know that Christ did raise from the dead, he did ascend into heaven, and he is sitting on the right hand of power, praying for you and I. And I thank God for that. And so when we get to chapter 12, remember last time in 11, we saw that uh, very big miracle that Lazarus was raised from the dead, proving that Jesus has power over death. And so as we transition into this chapter, that was actually the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. At this point forward, as, as we'll see, his eyes are straight on the cross. And that's why I titled the message, Keeping Our Eyes on the Cross. The first point will be devoting our lives to worship and service. You know, the Bible says, uh, Romans 12, one through three, that we're to live our lives as a living sacrifice, holy. And acceptable to the Lord. Old Testament, dead sacrifices. New Testament, living sacrifices, because Jesus is alive. Second point, count the cost to follow Jesus. I don't know how many times I talk to people. They're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this whole following Jesus thing. There's a lot of things I got to give up. <laughs> Alcohol, Netflix, like I can't do that, you know. But at the end of the day, like Jesus is the most important and all those things add them up together, times them times a million, and they still wouldn't add up to the satisfaction that Jesus Christ gives. And I hopefully all of us can attest to that in this room. If you can't, taste and see that the Lord is good today, right? But count the cost. Jesus does tell us, "Hey, if anyone come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me." Anything that's truly worth something is going to require sacrifice. And I love King David. I think it was Second Chronicles when tried to offer, they tried to give him a sacrifice free of charge. He's like, no, 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 no. I will not offer that to the Lord, that which costs me nothing. It costs to follow Christ. Count the cost. You will be hated by all the world for my name's sake, Jesus said. And the last point, very simple. Reflect the S-O-N. Be the moon and the stars. Let our light shine so much among men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And you guys have heard it said that Christianity is more caught than taught. We hear this all day, but we're really watching this, how we live in our lives. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Our lives are vastly different. And so I pray and hope that we can glean from that today. All right, John 12, you guys there? Amen. Amen. The Bible, it's good stuff. All right, first point, devoting our lives to worship and service. Verse 1. Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had, been, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So we start off first with a timeline. We're now six days from the cross. Six days. We're at Passover. You guys remember Passover? I'm sure most of you do, but I just teach you like you don't. All right? So Passover, Old Testament, Exodus is Jesus delivered them out of the bondage of of Egypt by the blood of a lamb in the shape of a cross. And so they all were given the instruction. Pharaoh had a hardened heart, and he said, no, I'm not gonna let these people go. And God still had mercy on him 10 times over, and Pharaoh refused. And so God said, you're not gonna let my people go? Okay. So the last plague was the the death of every firstborn son, and the only way to be delivered from death was to get the, the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross over the doorpost, and the angel of death would pass over them. And that was one of the feast, pilgrimage feasts that they celebrated. And so also those were different times of the year. So we, we can know just by Passover when they celebrated that, when Jesus died. By the Passover, because they were celebrated in the Jewish calendar at a specific time. God has a purpose for everything. So during the Passover, that's what they were celebrating. And you guys know, you can't make this up. I don't know anyone who can pick how they would die, the day they would die, at the time they would die. I, the where, it's it just, you can't make it up. But Jesus died on Passover as the Passover lamb. As the blood of the, all the bulls and goats were going under the Brook Kidron, Jesus' blood was being sacrificed on the cross. What a great and mighty God we serve. All of it has a purpose. So this is six days before that feast, the Passover, and Jesus comes to Bethany, which was known as the place of of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And I love how John points out, this is the Lazarus who had been dead, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Because only Jesus has the power over death. Only Jesus belongs to the escape of death. You guys know we're all going to die, but because of Jesus, we shall live again. And so he points out, this is the one Whom had been dead and highlights it's Lazarus. Now, verse two, he says, There they made him a supper, which is Jesus. And guess who? Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Every time in scripture, we see Martha doing what? Serving. The heart of a servant. You know, I look at a. I think it was James and John and the mother, Zebedee, right? And they had their eyes on the fleshy perspective. She says, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, can my sons sit on your right and left-hand side? I want them to hang out with you and get all the stardom of being a king. And Jesus, they argued over that. Who was the greatest? And Jesus simply says, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's not about how many people serve you, but how many people you serve. And so he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you shall be servant of all. You want to follow Jesus? Start with serving. And Martha had that reputation that everywhere you see her in scripture, she's serving. Chief servant. Now, she may have neglected personal devotion. We don't know, but Jesus told Mary, hey, you, you know, this is the better part to sit at his feet. But you shouldn't have one without the other. We should be chief servants. They're serving Jesus, and they made him a supper. And so I asked, do we have the heart to serve Jesus? You're on a Thursday night, so I mean, most of you probably do, right? But do we have the heart to serve Jesus? Because I believe if we have the heart to serve Jesus, serving others will be no problem. Not at all. Because it's serving Jesus, we find out truly who he is and the bliss of the Savior. But there they made him a dinner and Lazarus is sitting at the table with him. Verse three, then Mary took a pound of a very costly oil of spikenard. I looked up how to pronounce that. Spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, with her hair. Sorry. So Mary is known for being where at the feet of Jesus. Often we see her in Scripture. She's worshiping at Jesus' feet. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. And I believe we can look at Mary and Martha. And Lazarus, and we can glean from all three of them of where we can grow in our walk with the Lord. We see these examples in scripture. One is serving, one is at Jesus' feet. You need to do both. They're both beneficial. And then Lazarus is sitting at the table with him. That's good too. We can do all three of those. But you know what happens? We get too busy. I don't want to eat at the table, eat at the couch. I'm feet up, right? <laughs> I'm eating at the couch. At the table, I'm tired I kick my feet up, right? But sometimes we don't just sit and take time and eat at the Lord's table, sit at his feet. And I believe those two will will lead us to wanna serve. But I think all three are necessary. But Mary is known for being at Jesus' feet. She is the one who cherishes her devotion time with the Lord, and then it shows in her worship. You know, uh, I mean, you guys, most of you know, if not, I work here at the school, and it's a blessing working here. But teenagers are a tough group. (laughs) <laughs> they are a tough group. And so Thursdays are our days when we have chapel. So we do like, like we do elementary and then we do uh, high school chapel as well. So when we have elementary, the little ones, no hormones, so they love Jesus. They're screaming, love Jesus, they worship. I love doing elementary chapel because they are worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth. There's no restraint. They don't care about their neighbors, they don't care about any of that. And then it's vastly different when we get to the high school. They're very just kind of like, mm, playing worship. They're, mm, right? worship. And I told him today, I just said, look, I'm gonna give you guys my heart. Do any of you guys know what motivates a Christian to worship the Lord? And we have about 70, 80 teenagers in there, all professing believers, all say they go to church, all say they got their Bibles, right? Only two people raised their hand. And one of them was kind of gave a a decent answer, but there was one and and just so happens this one student, every time I see him, two Bibles, has his personal Bible And then he has the one where he takes notes in. And he was like, Josh, that's easy. It's the Holy Spirit. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. You guys hear that? It's the Holy Spirit that motivates us to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And so, and I encourage them, hey, if you guys are struggling, this doesn't seem too enthusiastic for you to worship the Lord. You need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that motivates us to do the things of the Lord. And I want to pray for all of you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you don't have them, today is the day of salvation. And so Martha, I strongly believe, filled with the Spirit because she loved to serve Jesus. And she was enthusiastic about it that she told Jesus, Mary needs to help me. She needs to help me do that. But this act by Mary is mentioned in three of the gospel accounts. So, when they say very costly oil, that means this was not an ordinary sacrifice. It was years, it was about a year's worth of salary in that time. Whoa, who in here is doing that? Whole year's worth of salary. Could have sold that. Oh, some of us in here right now. COVID and everything. Uh, give me that oil. I know I could do some better things with that than put it on somebody's feet. Come on now, let's be real. That, I mean, so some of you read that, nah, why are we doing that? And we'll see. Judas kind of had that same attitude. Well, you know, yeah. But this oil gave off a very distinctive and pleasant smell. Now revert back to King David in 2 Samuel that I will not offer that to the Lord, which costs me nothing. See, the scripture states that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Radical and sacrificial giving is a result of a heart fully given over to the Lord. I often revert back to when I, when I talk to people, who are like, well, the church always wants money. Well, not this one, but some do. Um, they always want money. Why do they always want money? Why do they force us to give? I don't want all these buckets for around, Like, you know, so some churches are like that. I came from when I was like that. But I always revert back to 2 Corinthians 8. And so when they're uh, the giving the, the saints in Jerusalem and they're collecting, and Paul highlights the Macedonia church. They were struggling financially. And he highlights it and he gives them praise because they were diligent givers. But he goes back and he highlights and he says, but you first fully gave your heart to the Lord and then to us. And so what happens is when you're fully surrendered to the Lord, it's a natural outflow to be generous. It's natural. It comes. You don't have to force it. You don't have to put your conscience in an arm bar. You don't have to wrestle with it. Love naturally gives. Well, where's that in scripture? Glad you asked, John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so love naturally gives, guess what? With joy. Where's that in scripture? Hebrews. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? It naturally gives and it does it with a joyous attitude. When the scripture says anointed, it means to hold sacred and to consecrate. Mary's heart posture was one of a true worshiper to wipe his feet with her hair. Like you guys remember, look, wiping feet. Come on. So right. So some of, you, some of us now are like, feet are, you know, that's, I'm good. But back then, no paved roads, sandals. They're walking in all the horse manure. Like, I mean, let's, I'm, I want to bring you to where it is. They're walking in all the horse manure. Their step on the feet are filthy. To wash one's feet was the lowest of the lowest. And that's why when Jesus did it in the next chapter, it was considered like the servant of the servant. You're gonna wash, people are like, you're gonna wash my feet? No, because it was considered the lowest of lows. Nobody wants to wash dirty feet. they in horse manure, right? Our feet aren't even horse manure. And we're still kind of like, yo, yeah, cover those up, right? But to wash her hair, meaning she's on the ground, his feet are there, and to wash his feet with the oil in her hair speaks so much volume of her, her heart posture of worship. Remember John the Baptist? I'm not even worried to untie your sandals. The highest form of humility. And then Jesus says, of men, of men born of women, John the Baptist wasn't one greater. And John's like, Yo, you are the Christ. I'm I came and do that. But the feet thing, I don't know where I would have been, but praise God for her because we have an example of humility. It's been said, humility always looks up while bowing down. And arrogance always looks down while standing up and over. Pharisees and the woman kind of adultery, right? I remember the, uh, the story, may have been a parable, where he says two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Tax collector what? I mean, the Pharisee looked up. I thank God I'm not like other men, right? He's probably looking to the side, it's tax collector, right? But the tax collector said what? He couldn't even look up to heaven, but said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he probably was, I'm not, the scripture, I'm not going to speak in silence, but he may have been bowing down if he wasn't physically, he wasn't his heart. And he was looking up in the sense of, Lord, I'm not worthy. You talk about a sinner's prayer, there it is. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But speaking of the heart posture, humility, the text says that the house is filled with fragrance. The oil filled the entire house. Spices were normally used in ancient worship service. This particular spice was used to make perfume to have an appealing odor to it. The actual word is only used twice in Scripture. The other time is when Lazarus was in the tomb and Martha said he had been there four days. The word odor. Uh, for context. Those who take note, Songs of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, 3 and verse 12. It says, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name, is oint- your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Verse 12, while the king is at the table, my spikenard, that word we're talking about, sends forth its fragrance. You guys know fragrances can bring things into remembrance. You smell something, there's a certain event that happens. Music does that too. I know. Back when I hear certain music, it reminds me when I was a kid. Fragrances can do the same thing. This fragrance was gonna be a memorial for everyone of Jesus' burial, and He says that shortly, which we'll see. As we come into our perspective mission fields, what fragrance are we leaving? Can we? What do people say about us? Now, again, I'm not talking about physical fragrance. You guys should take showers, and you should. You guys should do that. Now, I think everyone's good. I don't, I don't smell anything. You know, I've been around teenagers all day, so I wouldn't probably notice, but I think you guys are all good. But what fragrance are we leaving? And uh, in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, those who take notes, the scripture states that we are believers are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma of death leading to death and the aroma of life leading to life. Fragrance. What fragrance are we leaving? Is a question we need to ask ourselves. Verse four. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, oh boy, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, "Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? You guys are animals. Why would you do this?" That's my paraphrase. We could have helped out the poor. Now, that was a very, very big commandment, Old Testament. They were there to help the poor because Jesus said, the poor will be with you always. And that was part of loving God. And all through scripture, it says, if you neglect the poor, it says you mock your maker. And so it looks like, if we don't read the rest of it, it looks like Judas might actually care about the poor. He may have a little bit of heart in him after all not. Keep reading. Judas Iscariot. Here's what the Bible says about Judas Iscariot. John 6 to 70, Jesus refers to him as a devil. That's not cool if Jesus says that about you. That's not a good, that's not a good look if Jesus says that you're the devil. It's not good. John 13 too, it stated that Satan had entered his heart, speaking of Judas. Matthew ten four, Luke 16, 6, and others it says, he who betrayed Jesus and he was a traitor. In verse six, we'll see, he was a thief. I don't think he cares about the poor. Not at all. He loves money. 300 denarii, it was equal, as I said earlier, to one year's wages. That's expensive. Proverbs fourteen thirty one says that helping the poor, and if you ignore those in need and you despise your maker, as I said before, Verse six, he says, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Not because he cared for the poor, very clearly. It sounded good, Judas, but we got the next verse. Sorry, Judas was a thief and a traitor. He was selfish. He had no heart for the poor. See, saints, we can fool man, but not God for he knows our hearts. It's not wrong to have money, to have things. God gave us these things to enjoy, life and life in abundance. Use it for the kingdom. You know, Use it to minister, enjoy it. But when those things have us, that's the problem. Judas had a money problem. He loved money. As you guys know, the scripture says that The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Instead of being joyous that she made this sacrifice, he's upset because it wasn't given to him. Let's just be honest. He he wanted it in his hands so he could pretend to care about the poor, but really he was just going to take the money. What areas in our lives are we mocking our maker? See, it's good for us to minister to the less fortunate with a sincere heart, In fact, our heart is mostly shown in the giving of our time, treasure, and talent. As you guys know, we talk about serving all the time here. One, because we love you guys, and two, because scripture constantly commands it. Is that if you've been born again, you've been given spiritual gifts. The question is gonna be, are we being faithful with the stewardship that God has given us? Some of us are, some of us aren't. The encouragement tonight is, Use the gifts God has given you. Don't just sit on your hand, the parable of the talents, right? God has given us all spiritual gifts to be used. And I'll tell you this, you grow the most and you enjoy your intimacy with the Lord by being faithful. The Bible says it's required that stewards be found faithful, amen? Be a chief servant on the outline. Sacrifice being at the feet of Jesus. I will not offer to the Lord that, which costs me nothing, verse seven in your Bibles. But Jesus said, Jesus talking, I love that, red letters. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Jesus rebukes Judas and highlights the reality of her sacrifice. It was anointing for his upcoming burial a few days away. I love how Jesus is razor sharp focused on his hour, on the day that he was gonna be sacrificed on the cross, the crucifixion. Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The crucifixion is so important. I know one of my first meetings here at the school, we had a parent who didn't want us to teach their, their first grader the crucifixion. Yeah, it's just too graphic. I don't, I just don't don't talk about it. Like, if you t- just skip over it. And I remember the principal was like, God, can you come with me to this meeting? Because, like, I want to I be gracious, but at the same time, I can't compromise. I said, absolutely, we're going to bring this right here, okay? And this is the standard. And so we went in, and what happened, she was just concerned about the graphics, of course, right? Don't teach my kindergarten the blood, the guts, the glory of the cross. Say it in a different way, right? But the bottom line is that, the crucifixion, if left there, it is terrible, but that's not the end of the story. And so I encourage, I say, look, Jesus died for our sin out of love, but he rose again and triumphed over death and ascended on high. But the crucifixion is the way to the resurrection, and the resurrection is the way to the ascension. And so we start there on the death, burial, resurrection, and when I explained it like that, I said, you can't leave that out. It can't just be, hey, he, he went somewhere and then he appeared again. You can't take away the sting of the crucifixion. And so I encouraged him, but the crucifixion. Jesus was so focused on my hour, my day, my appointed time. When we talk about the poor, because he said Judas didn't really care about the poor. But Deuteronomy 15, 11 says, the poor will never cease from the land. And honestly, where I live, I live in the west, north side of Oxnard, but I was born and raised in Oxnard. We see oftentimes, I mean, we have like poor almost at every corner, or at least they're portraying themselves to be that way. Driving here this morning, and, and they're getting more bold. Literally had a sign, need more weed. Kids, you're not. This is Oxnard. It's Oxnard, by the way. Need more weed. See, we're not invested in that ministry, okay? <laughs> you're not gonna get that from this table, not at all. But oftentimes, some people, are like, oh, that's humorous, so they give them money. They trust him, but they don't trust the church. You don't want to give money to the church, but you give it to the guy who needs more weed. Come on. We need to be smart investors. But we're looking at this, and oftentimes we see people give to the poor before they even sacrifice to the Lord. This, in sense is the heart of Judas. Don't trust the church, but we trust the person who you see visibly is living a lifestyle of sin. And that doesn't mean you can't give them food. I'd rather give them food than anything. At least I feed them for a moment of food in the Bible. Sometimes I throw the Bible, keep the food. But at least I try, right? But we see that all the time. We need to use wisdom. Help those in need, but don't support sinful behavior. The Bible says very clearly, man doesn't work, he doesn't, he don't eat, right? But we see that concept here with Judas, and Jesus corrects it and says that this is an honorable thing that she has done, and it will be remembered all throughout these generations. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we're talking about the fragrance of worship and sacrifice. Okay, into point number one, review. Devoting our lives to worship, to lives of worship and service. We need to be chief servants. Mark 10, 43, 44. Sacrifice, being at the feet of Jesus. It's worth it. You know what you might have to sacrifice? Sleep. I do sometimes. Sleep might have to sacrifice a little bit of Netflix, the new series that came out. You might have to sacrifice, ready? Chosen, okay. You can't supplement sa- the, the Chosen for the Bible. It's a good series, praise God for it, but you still should be sitting at Jesus' feet, right? Sacrifice. And the last, last point on here, guard your heart against covetousness. You know, I was once told to me, giving cares greed. You're re- really greedy of something, you wanna know how much you care about something? See if you can let it go. See if your hands can release it. If you have a problem with that, there may be some greed there. The Bible says the Lord will provide all of our needs, not all of our greeds. Choose one, right? Choose one. And he does give us our wants sometimes, but it needs to be kept in a proper perspective. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all things, right? For out of it are the issues of life. Point number two, count the cost to follow Jesus. Verse number nine in your Bibles. Now, a great many of Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Jesus can't hide anywhere. The table's been set. Wherever Jesus is, they find out where he is, and he can't really hide. And so they know where he is. But notice this, that it wasn't just for Jesus, but for for Lazarus. Why? Because of what Jesus had done to Lazarus. And you know, we have to look in our lives, right? People are going to need to see Jesus in us. That's what's going to attract them. Many people are very turned off by the Bible because, I mean, let's be real, it tells them about their sinful life. Let's be honest. Jesus says, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Don't open the Bible, please. Don't show me that. But what you can do is you can show them the light that's inside of you. And so they want to see Lazarus because of what Jesus had done to him. That this man was dead and now he's walking around. I need to see that. I'll see Jesus too, but also I want to see this man, Lazarus. Imagine attending the funeral on Monday and then on Friday you're eating with this guy that you attended the funeral with. Wow. Wow. Bro, I saw you in the casket. That was a good act you put on, right? But he was dead in the tomb four days. Even Jewish superstition didn't go past that. And now he's eating, he's grubbing with Jesus at the table. I want to see that. And sadly, some of them still did not believe. Oh, well, I don't know. He must have done it by demons. Demons must have done that, right? Sadly, some of them still did not believe Lazarus was a walking miracle and a testimony of Jesus being God and having the power over death, and saints, so are we. We are a walking testimony of a transformed life. You don't have to be the Apostle Paul and have one of those conversions, but all of us were once blind if we're saved, and now we see. All of us, every single one of us should be a walking testimony of what Jesus can do in our lives, Once dead, now we're alive. Chief priests, these are the same who would eventually deliver Jesus to Pontius Pilate for death. Now they plot to kill Lazarus because of his living witness of Jesus. Verse 10, but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on the account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Look at this. Not, wow, you must be the Christ. Wow, you must, you must, you have to be God. You did the final, you raised someone from the dead. But now we gotta kill Lazarus too because he's a walking testimony of you and we can't have that. What kind of hardness of heart do you have to have to deny the blatant miracle of you went to a funeral one day and now you're eating, you see this guy again with Jesus who raised him from the dead? This is the peril of unbelief. A hardened hearts to the core. Imagine you having authority over a city, and one of the citizens is gaining more popularity than you. This is what's happening. The citizen is gaining more power and authority than you are. For a politician, this is the worst thing ever. Worst thing ever. No, get him out of here. I'm going to lose the race. Back in chapter 11, Caiaphas prophesied that one man would die for the nation rather than the nation perish. This is a very desperate attempt to completely silence any evidence of Jesus and what he stands for. And thus, that's what's happening today. There's nothing new under the sun. They want to completely silence everything that the cross stands for. The cross is offensive. Get it off the hill. Take it out of the, out of the classrooms. Don't have it um, in the stores. You guys know the gay pride has a whole month? A whole month. whole month? 30 days? It might be one of the long months too. It might be 31 days in that month. But are you kidding me? A whole month. Easter one day. Christmas one day. But a whole month. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. They want to completely silence the cross, silence the Christians. They want to completely have us be quiet. You're bigots if you speak up for what is right. But saints, that's exactly what we must do. We obey God rather than man. This is the message that cannot be silenced. They cannot silence or transform life. We are walking evidence. We are all like Lazarus. And they want to silence the cross. They're going to do it to every Christian. He says, marvel not if the world... Hates you. I remember at work uh, when this, before we had all this greater technology, Danielle, before you were here, we didn't have live stream, and the CDs were hot and popping. And I remember I'd grab a whole bunch of them and i put them in our, our staff boxes, right? And then the next day I'll come back and they like took them out and put them in other boxes and they're playing musical chairs with it because they didn't want it. It was too much light. And then eventually I found them back in my box, like stacks of them, right? But I tried. But they wanted a They didn't want it. Some of them might find them in the trash somewhere or whatnot, but I tried. But the message of the cross is offensive to people who are living in darkness. But we need to be bold and stand for what the cross says. Scripture says on the count of him, many Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Due to Lazarus literally being alive from the dead, people believed. Scripture says that while we were Dead on our trespasses and sins, Christ made us alive. Christ Jesus, the best witness for the gospel is your life. Your life has it changed? Is the Holy Spirit there? How do we know? Are you excited about the things of the Lord? Some days, some days not. Right? Remember, Holy Spirit, ask for a fresh fill. Lord, fill me up today. I want to be excited. I'll be transparent, guys. I don't always feel like this. Some days I'm like, "Ugh, I don't even want to talk to anybody about it." Don't ask me, please. Don't ask me. I'm not wearing witness wear today. Don't ask me, right? I'll be. Some days I like that. When I get convicted, like, you can't serve God just when you want to, or when you feel like it. We get to that. We get like this. I've been a long day at work. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to kick my feet up. It's not about when you feel like it but it's the Holy Spirit that makes us excited about the things of the Lord. That's how you know you're walking in the flesh. Ah, it's burdensome to do that. No, it's not. Holy Spirit says it's if you don't. Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Holy Spirit, does our life bear witness to the cross? Remember, did you guys know I was raised Mormon? Way back in the day. I didn't really remember much of the doctrine. Thank God for that, right? But I remember I ended up uh, crossing paths with uh, a, a brother. Well, he's not a brother in Christ. He's a Mormon. He's not a brother. I hope, I, one day I hope he converts. But he works for social services, and, and I run two boys' group homes, and I had some of his clients. And he was like, you're not the Josh from back in the day. I said, yeah, I'm not, bro. Born again, right? I'm born again. But he noticed that you're different. When you went to a Mormon church, you weren't. But now, like, you're not in the Mormon church, and you would think, Did you get the correlation? I'm not in the church. I'm in Jesus now, and there's a difference. Not the same guy, vastly different, that he was encouraged. And I still, to this day, minister him back and forth. Our lives should bear witness to it, and you will be hated by the world for his name's sake. Look, not everybody's gonna like you. In fact, Jesus said, I'm a little concerned that if everyone likes you, because he said, so they did the false prophets, right? So some of us are like, well, yeah, no one says really anything bad about me. I think everything's, well, that's a problem. But then the other side, too, if nobody likes you, that's a problem, too, because some people like Jesus, right? They didn't all hate him. So it's a balance. (laughs) I think if you're bold and you stand for your faith and you walk in the Spirit, you're going to have both sides. But you shouldn't be on either extreme, Right? Nobody likes you, everybody likes you. Look, there should be a mixed multitude, all right? But let the Holy Spirit decipher that, amen? Verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. The people in anticipation of the Messiah cry out in worship, yet not in knowledge. See, their hope at this point is that Jesus would be an earthly king. In fact, their hope is that he would be a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that he would overthrow the Roman government. That's why they're so apt to worship. Oh, yeah, you're our guy. You're going to get the Roman people up out of here, and we can laugh at them and say, we told you so. You weren't going to rule over us forever. And so they bow in fulfillment of prophecy. But we know they didn't mean it because just three days later, they yell, crucify him. And they rather have a murderer delivered to them than the king of the universe, in Jesus Christ. It's been said that in the first coming they expected a lion, but they got a lamb. In the second coming, they're looking for a lamb, they're going to get a lion. It's going to be on a white horse, and it's going to wage war as he's supposed to. And all who don't believe are going to suffer, not because he wants them to, but because they choose that way. And so I want the lion and the lamb, I'll take them both. Amen. And i rather bow now in grace than later forcefully in judgment. Those are two realities for the believer and the non-believer, or the believer and the make-believer, however you want to put it, right? <laughs> Leviticus 2340 highlights the first day of the feast. They gather palm, tr- palm branches and to rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. In Revelation 7.9, for your note-takers, A great multitude, which no one could number, would indeed worship the lamb with palm branches in their hands. And of course, Psalm 118, 25, it says, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This again is prophecy fulfillment. And their aim is to be saved from physical oppression, not spiritual death. And that's sad. But prophecy fulfillment is one of the greatest evidence of the reliability of scripture. We know it's been proven archaeologically, historically, scientifically. And the one I believe has the most bearing is prophetically. The crucifixion. We're talking about Isaiah and David. David prophesied about a thousand years before Jesus even came and 600 years before the Romans perfected crucifixion. They pierced my hands and my feet. They weren't even doing that back then. David, what are you talking about? Talking about the Messiah, the crucifixion, prophecy. Isaiah spoke that the servant would suffer in very specific ways, that he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that we would esteem, not us, but them, would esteem him stricken by God. But by his stripes we are healed. Said that he would die for the sins of the people. And Jesus comes and then he fulfills that. Almost a thousand years later, that's prophecy fulfillment. Saints, we can trust the scriptures, they're reliable, it's truth. Jesus promised, God promised he will preserve. His word in Isaiah 48, uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Prophecy fulfillment, we can trust what has been written down. Verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, which I read already, and he quoted uh, Zechariah, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a king's colt. They heard that Jesus was coming, his fate, again, continues to spread. Remember all the miracles? He's turned the water to wine, fed the 5,000, healed the blind. All these were prophesied that the Messiah was going to do. If they would just would have paid attention, if we just would pay attention, right, to what's going on, they would have known this is our Messiah. This is our King. This is our Lord. And Jesus, again, fulfilling prophecy for those who take note, Zechariah 9.9 and Zephaniah 3.15 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foil of a donkey. That I just read from the Old Testament. What it shows, the prophecy fulfillment, is Jesus understands prophecy. And he knows he is the king of Israel and the promised Messiah. I love Philippians 2. It says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Some are like, well, Jesus didn't know. He wasn't sure. He, was, he knew. All these things are intentional. He knew, hey, yeah, go give me a donkey. Hey, go tell them that I need that. Go. Was that just, he just guessed that? It was it an accident? Jesus knew who he was. He did not have an identity crisis. He knew he was the king. And he showed it in his life. And he showed it in his words. And he showed it in his devotion to the father. But is Jesus king of your life? Or have we degraded him to just king of our desires? See, saints in Romans, it says that if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus can't just be savior, but he must also be Lord. Does that make sense? And a reminder we need that he has come to seek and save that which is lost, Saints, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You just choose when you're going to do it. If you haven't done it, I say tonight will be a good day. Tonight's a good night. Today is a good day of salvation. Verse 16, your Bibles. Oh, my mind goes, I think I'm going to speed it up. A lot of verses. Okay, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. As a lot is going on right now, they they don't really understand everything. And we go through the same thing as well. Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, what? Ask, ask. But they did not understand these things right then and there. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, then they understood. They needed the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and understanding. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we sit at Jesus' feet and learn of him, the Spirit is going to remind us the things that Jesus taught. Verse 17, Therefore the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, they bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. Raising Lazarus from the dead. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Once again, the Pharisees blow me away. Not look, we believe now. He is the man. But look what you're doing, people. Why are you talking about this guy? The whole world has gone after him. Everybody except us. Oh, us. Oh, the whole world except us. Something's wrong. What did we miss, right? The blinders. Those who witnessed Jesus' miracle were telling everyone, just like we should be telling everyone about Jesus. That is something that is not seen every day. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is exactly what the religious leaders do not want, because they're going to lose their power or their control. I love the difference how when the Pharisees taught, and then Jesus stepped on the scene, they're like, whoa. You don't speak as a scribes and Pharisee, you got authority, Holy Spirit. And they noticed, we don't want the people going after Jesus, look what you have done. Instead of believing on him, after the witness, the whole world has gone after him. Such a shame. Not that it would be wise to follow him, but why and what are you doing? This is the peril of religion. It slaughters all opportunity for relationship because it blinds us of the blessings of intimacy intimacy with Jesus. Religionship is very dangerous, and we can easily get caught up in the Phariseeism of self-righteousness. Reminds me when I first started working here at the school. I'm not saying there's a bunch of Pharisees around, but but, but this is just reality, right? We come on, and we're doing, like, worship, and some of the kids are like, Josh, we haven't had our Bibles in two years in chapel. Like we're, we're, we haven't worshiped like this in a long time and kids are getting saved. Every chapel we do, people are giving their lives over to the Lord and God's being glorified. And I had one teacher come to me and I'm, like, and I'm thinking, okay, she's you know, gonna praise God, right? She's like, yeah, uh, can you like start chapel on time? Like you're five minutes late. I'm like, were you here? Kids are worshiping Jesus. People are giving their life to the Lord and you're telling me about five minutes? Are you kidding me? And then I get another one come to me later, another day, another time, and they're like, you know, like, hey, like, can you not have the kids yell at Jesus so loud? <laughs> they're worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth. No, I'm not. We're gonna keep yelling Jesus till the neighbors come and tell us to stop. We're not doing that, okay? But I just think about this whole idea of like, we missed a big point. We missed it. Yes, God is a God of order, but He's flexible. All right? And yeah, travel didn't start on time because we still had more classes coming, and I wasn't going to cut them off. And so we did it in spirit and truth, and I'm sorry that five minutes broke your bank, okay? But at the end of the day, we can't miss it when Jesus is right in front of us. When it comes to the point where your rules and your expectations and your regulations begins to infringe upon what God is doing, you might be in a relationship. Repent two days. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But I graciously said, okay, I'll do my best start job on time. But we're not gonna be quiet about Jesus, though. We're not gonna do that. That one I can't do. But I just took it in stride, I took it in grace. But it just reminds me of how that can come, how that can come with us too. Does our relationship point people to go after Jesus? When we when does our relationship show so much that People want to follow because of what our lives are showing. You can preach. When I was, uh, we do, i um, here at the school, we do devotions at staff, which I love. It's Jesus all day, right? And so each time, like, they have a different person give a devotion. And they didn't tell me how to do it. And I'm, I'm like, okay. I don't know there's, like, a, like a, a, a textbook on how to do a devotion, right? You just what the Lord gave you, Do you know. But I'm a pastor, so I taught the word. They don't like that. Like, hey, you can't preach in your devotions. Oh, well, nobody told me that, right? Well, I'm telling you now, okay, right? But the word, but think about it, we missed the picture again. The word of God is going forth. I can't preach in a devotion? Did I, did I preach anything against the Bible? Well, no. Was there no truth being spoken? Well, no truth is being spoken. What's the problem? We missed the point. Religion, Jesus over everything, right? Verse 20, 22, in your Bibles. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who had come to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Highlight that, please. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, certain Greeks, those are those who came up to the feast to worship. As you know, they were spread in the dispersion, and so they came back for the pilgrimage feast. And those who had been Hellenized, they had raised in Greek culture, but they were still Jews by, uh, by, their, by their ethnicity. And they came to, wor- to worship, and look what they said. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's it. Look, they didn't ask for Lazarus. They didn't ask for the signs. They said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. I absolutely love that. Those of you guys who know Pastor Dave's uh, son-in-law, Kevin, has a church in Colorado. And I remember when we went there, when we did Chris and Carolyn's wedding, his pulpit, probably about this big wood, carved right here in the top, this very verse. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And I was like, that, i yelled, I need that. I need that. I want to get like engraved right here. Sir, we wish to see Jesus because see, that should be the pastor and any person here. That should be what we present to people. That should be what we give them. That should be, we, here, here's Jesus. Jesus all day. But these Greeks, they come and they say, we just, really simple. You want a miracle? No, no miracle. I don't need a miracle. No, I don't need, we just wish to see Jesus. Where's he at? And so we should wish to just see Jesus. I love this inquiry. See, the time was ripe for the Messiah. After 400 years of silence, those from all over have heard about Jesus and what he has done. But of course, everyone has their own agenda. Why? they wish to see Jesus. Herod just wanted to see the signs. Some of them just wanted to get rid of them, And then, of course, some of them really wanted to believe in them. Every time I preach the gospel, especially to the youth, I tell them, look, I know I have three groups of people here. The serious, the curious, and the furious. Those who are serious about Jesus, those who are curious and not too sure, like, ah, I heard, but I'm not right. And those who flat out say, get that man out of here. I, I, I don't want to hear anything he has to say. That's too much righteousness. But every group has it. If you see when Jesus preached, you have those three in every group. And that never wants to say everyone believed. And never wants to say nobody believed. But we have a mixed multitude of those three. But every time he preached, it was the truth, right? And he let truth reign. I love what Charles Spurgeon said we don't need to defend the word of God any more than we need to defend a lion right? What do you do with the line? Let that baby loose and he'll defend himself, right? And we do the same thing with the word of God. Just unchain it, let it loose. As Paul said, the word of God is not chained. They cannot silence the gospel. On your outline, your life will be on display as an example. We have to remember that verse 23. I'm not going to finish, but I mean, it was, it was hopeful thinking. Verse 30, but Jesus after them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That phrase, the hour, it means the time of the cross. It was a phrase that Jesus used often. My hour has not yet come come. I remember when I first read it, I think I saw it in uh, uh, the wedding. And it looked like Jesus might've been rude. Woman, what is it? It's not my hour, woman. Like he was talking to his mom, but that's more of a cultural thing. He wasn't being disrespectful. All right. Jesus would never do that. Okay. But he spoke there. He said, my hour has not yet come. That was back in John chapter two, but he always lived his life in light of the cross of that moment when he was going to fulfill the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. As Solomon said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The wisest thing we can do is to prepare for our appointment. Are we prepared? Jesus is, and he's given us an example on how we can too. His appointed time, Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, we know that. Now, may we always live life in light of our death. May we never forget the price Jesus paid on the cross. See, Jesus compares his death to the grain of wheat. The grain of wheat is fruitless unless it falls to the ground and dies. Yet if it dies, he says, it bears much fruit. You know, the grain, it has to, once it's in the soil, it has to die in order to bear fruit. Now I love that imagery. And it says, Jesus' death redeems many from the grip of sin in death, and we look at that in First Corinthians fifteen, thirty-six, and i I'm not going to read it, but I think that's so interesting that the grain it can't bear fruit unless it dies. And we see that also if you look at the feast. I'm not going to go into it now for sake of time, but if you guys look at the feast of first fruits, that they're planted and then the fruit comes once they die, and the fruit and the first fruit of Jesus' death was the resurrection. That was the first fruit, and it said that Jesus was the first fruit of those who slept. He had to die first, and Jesus makes that comparison. We're called to die to self in order that Jesus may live through us. We bear much fruit when we decrease and Jesus increase, right? John 15. He says that we are, he, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. He says, Abide in me and I in you. Therefore, you shall bear much fruit, but aside from me, you can do nothing. See, as a, as a vine gets its nourishment from, as a branch gets its nourishment from the vine, so we too get our empowerment from the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ. Saints, no fruit if we don't abide, right? Abiding in the vine. But he compares it. And he says, I love Paul, those note takers, Galatians 2, I think. He says, we have been, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So guess what? If Christ is alive, you're not. If you're alive, he's not in you. You can't have both. He's not going to be a co-inhabitant, right? Choose who's going to live, flesh or spirit. Paul says, I attest, I die daily. Verse 25, he says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, many who are curious about Jesus are simply seeking signs and miracles. As Jesus presses closer to the cross, he seeks true worshipers. John 4, 20, 24, I think he says that God is a spirit and that those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, true worshipers surrender their lives to Jesus. See, he who loves the world, the scripture says, the love of the Father is not in him. Love for the world makes us an enemy with God. For your note takers, Matthew 10, 37, 39, it says this, he who loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter or their own life more than me is not worthy of me. And then uh, Luke's gospel, I think it says, uh, he who does not hate mother, father, son, or daughter. He is not preaching hate with, uh, you know, disdain, disdainment and malice. The word actually means to love less. He's not preaching that. There's no contradictions in Scripture. Jesus said the Scriptures can't be broken, right? You have to read them in context. But the idea here is this, is that we love Jesus more than anything, then you will see everything its proper perspective and your family and your life, and those things will not be a stumbling block to your walk with the Lord remember that scripture? Uh, I don't know where, but it's in the Gospels, where he was like, yeah, I just got to, I'll go follow you, but I just got to go, you know, I got to go uh, bury my dad, right? That's still alive. What are you talking about? Right? Oh yeah, I'm gonna go, but, but I, I got I to go deal with my, my, my sheep, right? And he says, look, no man having put his foot to their plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, right? You must be kingdom-minded. Serving God and surrendering everything to him is of all most worthy than anything else, but it's about priorities, Amen. We got to get our priorities in line. When he says love his life, it says to delight in, to be a friend of, to have affection for, being attached to from the heart. See, that's what happens in the uh, in the epistles. I think it was um, I don't know if his name was Demas, but it says Demas has forsaken me, having loving this present world. You know, what got in the way love for love for his life got in the way of ministering for the Lord. He said, I'm out. And Paul's like, everybody left me. He said, my first defense of the gospel, everybody left me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Why? Love for something else. Your affection's over something else. But Jesus says, hey, he who loves his life will lose it. And then he who loses his life, meaning doesn't put it before Jesus, they'll find it. Because true life is only in Jesus for you note-takers, Colossians 3 and 2, it says to set your mind on the things that are above. See, as Jesus draws closer to the cross, his circle gets smaller. As you guys start serving the Lord, your secular circle most likely will get smaller and smaller and smaller. And you guys know when he went to the cross, they scattered. Peter, I love his zeal. Even if they all forsake you, I won't. Peter's one of the first ones to go. <laughs> right? Even if they do the ladies were lovely, ladies, ladies, were at the cross. Men were gone. See ya. Peter one of the first ones. Circle got small. As you guys grow and you serve the Lord with zeal, circles gonna get a little small. Right? It's just a reality. But don't let that discourage you. Remember Elisha? Lord, they, they knocked down your altars, and I alone. And they seek my life. What am I to do? It's just me. Look, it's never just you. What did God say? I have 7,000. 7,000. You're one. i got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee. And even today, there's a remnant. And you're not alone in serving the Lord. There's always more that are zealous. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not out there. As Jesus told them that I've been working and my father's been working. We don't slumber nor sleep. But we need to love Jesus more than anything else. As Paul said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. Many of us love our lives so much. Saw that with coronavirus, right? Oh! brought the corona up how dare him right what are we so afraid of to die we love our possessions we love our family as we should but this is a matter of affections over the lord the greatest commandment is to love the lord thy god all heart mind soul and strength when we fail to do that it is called inordinate affections it's affection disorder so your affections get in order by loving god first and then everything else takes its proper order Jesus says when you don't have your proper affection, then it leads to an inordinate affection, which affects everything else in our life and, of course, the ministry to the Lord. He said, he who hates his life, it means to detest, to love less. The term, will keep it unto everlasting life, means to guard and to keep from being snatched away, preserve, safe, unimpaired. And you guys know, and I'm not gonna argue about it over the pulpit, if you're truly born again, you cannot be lost. We saw that in John 10, right? But Jesus made it very clear in that. He says, they hear my voice, they follow me, I know them, speaks of relationship. So if you truly have a relationship with him and you're his sheep, those, that's the evidence and the assurance that no one can snatch you out of his hand. And that's the promise that we have from scripture. On the outline, a fruitful life is one of self-denial. He who loves his life will lose it, to live, live we must die. The grain of wheat, the example. What areas in our lives are we unwilling to surrender? Let's just be real. Some of us have a pet sin. We just uh, pull it out, we pet it. And what I mean by that, I know you got to get the imagery because y'all pet lovers. And know you get the imagery. What I mean by that is we don't want to fully give it up. We, we play with it, we play with temptation. Right? We're like, ah, I won't really, I'm not going too far. I'm just gonna go right here. Right? That whole thing, I'm not touching you, I'm close, but I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. We do that too much. We need to have nothing to do with it. It's been said that temptation always comes through the door left left open. Close those doors, lock them, deadbolt them so it can't come in. You know, Paul said, Hey, thee who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Can a man set fire to his pants and not get burned? I wouldn't try it, right? I wouldn't try it. But we flirt with it too much. But what areas are we willing, unwilling to surrender? Getting in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Typically, the evidence of our conversion is how we respond to this statement. Where are we at in our faith? He who loses his life, he who loves his life, how do we respond to that Because Jesus died for us in your outline, we now will live for him. We're pretty much out of time, so I'll just finish these last two verses. Verse 26, he says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him or her, my father will honor. Jesus says that his servants will be wherever he is, as a servant's job is to serve and follow the master. That means they must always be available. Well, no, I'm too busy. I think I'm gonna go to church next month. well, yeah, I gotta make, once I finish this job, I I promise I'll be there. Uh, Live stream's still on, right? Danielle's faithful, we'll have it up, right? He said, where my servant is, they have to be available. It is those who are following Jesus that are truly his disciple indeed over those who just offer lip service. There is a difference. See, God honors those who are faithful to him. The word serves me, it means to wait upon, to tend to anything that may serve of another's interests. The greatest in the kingdom, servants of all. Who are we serving? It will be shown in where your passions are. Oh, brought the value of affection the passions up again. You can't do that. I am. A good test will be how do we respond to trials. Dun, dun, dun. See, Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Do we count it all joy? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's one of the things we sign up for. Hey, I'm next. Hey, give it to me. I'll take your trial. No, I'm not saying that. I don't want your trial. I'll be honest. I don't want that. I got enough of my own. I don't want yours. I, I don't, you know, I really, I hope I pray for you, help walk you through it, help you know, all that, but I don't want to adopt it. Okay? I have my own, right? And trials aren't easy and they're not something that we look forward to. But the word of God says that we can have joy in it because of what it produces. And the trials don't destroy us, but they make us stronger, right? And so how we respond to that would be a good test of where we are and who we're serving. Do we run to the world or do we run to the Lord? It's a good question. It's one for each and every one of us to examine. So we'll stop there. Uh, In review, keeping our eyes on the cross, devoting our lives to worship and service. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. It's true sacrifice. Counting the cost to follow Jesus, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Does everybody have everything good to say about you? It's cool if they have a lot of things, but I mean, a little suspect if everything, everywhere you go, right? And of course, your life will be on display, and as an example, we're bound to our witness. And whenever I get up here again, we'll just finish it. So worship team, you guys, come on up. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this precious time that we get to go over your word, to sit at your feet, to learn of you, and just to have your word fall on our hearts. And, Lord, we thank you that we truly get to do this, and that your Holy Spirit gives us an understanding of your love for us. And Lord, we pray that this time was not in vain, but that we won't just listen, but we would also act. And we pray for all those who are struggling, all those who are going through trials, Lord. We pray that you would comfort them. We know you are the God of all comfort. We know that, Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us through these trials. Lord, may we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, that we would weep with those who weep and we will rejoice with those who rejoice. And we pray, O oh Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. If people don't know you, that today they would call upon the name of the Lord. Because your word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said, amen. amen. Let's stand up and worship.